Welcome to Amplify. Some of the sounds recorded in Budapest last month, which CMC visited as part of the Ulysses Journey 2022 project. I'm Jonathan Grimes and this is episode 70 of our fortnightly podcast on Irish composers and new music from Ireland. And I'm delighted to bring you this special episode featuring conversations recorded at events in Budapest and Paris with some of the artists, composers and people behind Ulysses Journey an international celebration of new music and film marking the 100th anniversary of the publication in Paris of Ulysses by James Joyce. I'm joined once again by CMC director Yvonne Ferguson. Hi Yvonne. Hi Jonathan. Yvonne, after nearly two years of COVID restrictions and various interruptions to these events, it's true to say that this really was a very special project for CMC in that it brought together so many composers, performers and other artists from Ireland and Hungary to create this multi-layered experience for audiences involving concerts, films and talks all linked together by Joyce. Yeah, I suppose you could say we sort of started all this planning back in 2019, Jonathan, when I had the pleasure of meeting Kathleen Kultai, the Hungarian guitarist, performing at the Embassy of Hungary in Ireland. And Kathleen was very keen to work with composers from Ireland and to create a project where new works by composers from here and composers from Hungary would share a stage in performances in Hungary and in Ireland. And that led to a call for works. We had a fantastic response to that. And we begun the discussions with the Buddha Budapest Music Centre and the Embassy of Ireland in Budapest uh, about concerts there and also with our regular partners here in, in Ireland, Sundays at Noon and Moving on Music about concerts here. But as uh, we all know, everything had to take a big pause in uh, planning due to COVID. And that actually, I suppose, gave us a bit of time to think of how maybe this project could develop uh, and other strands could develop. And we started to have more chats and conversations um, and with some of our regular partners, um, most especially the Centre Couturier Lirlandais and uh, CMC and CCI came together to co-commission six new pieces of music by composers from Ireland and we partnered the composers with filmmakers and asked both parties to respond to Ulysses. So the screenings of the films along with the discussion on Joyce and music as well as the performances by Kathleen along with soprano Elizabeth Hilliard that all became the Ulysses Journey project and was managed by our colleague Linda O'Shea Farn and we really embarked I suppose in earnest for audiences on the Ulysses Journey project back in February 2022 on the 2nd of February which was the anniversary of the publication that 
that event was at the Irish Film Institute. We also had events in April as part of One Dublin, One Book and New Music Dublin. And uh, then, like Joyce himself, we travelled to the continent for events at the Budapest Music Centre, at Fuga in Budapest and at the Centre Culturel Irlandais in Paris, with support also from the Institut Encroix in Paris. And I suppose it was really fitting to end the journey, Jonathan, at the Centre Culturel Irlandais, I think, because we have a long and fruitful partnership with the Centre Culturel Irlandais, with past projects and also with our composer residency for a composer represented by CMC at the Centre Culturel Irlandais. So we're going to hear now from some of the people involved in the project. You'll hear from composer Benjamin Dwyer about his new piece, which guitarist Kathleen Coltai premiered at the concert at the Budapest Music Centre. You'll hear then from Abel Petnecki about the work of the Budapest Music Centre, soprano Elizabeth Hilliard and composer Greg Caffrey about his piece that was performed at both concerts in Budapest and Paris, Centre Culturel Irlandais director Nora hickey Missicilli. Composer Dara Black-Hines, who also had a piece performed by Kathleen. And finally, we'll hear from Ulysses Journey 2022 project manager Linda O'Shea-Farron on some of her reflections on the project. But first, we'll hear from Kathleen Coltai, who was central to the whole project. Her conversation with me was recorded after the concert in Budapest, and this is played in by an extract from Kathleen's performance at that concert of Grony Mulvey's Soft Morning City. the Budapest Music Centre. It's Wednesday the 15th of June. We've just had a concert as part of the Ulysses Journey 2022 project and I am with... Thank you, I'm Katalin Koltai and we just finished with this concert and um, I thought it was really well received and we had a full house. People were so happy and excited and I felt the audience was really focused and I was really happy with today's event. Yeah, You should be. It was a great success and, and really, really wonderful and, and a real privilege to experience it, Kathleen. And of course you were a huge part of this because you performed a concert of solo works apart from the last piece with uh, Liz Hilliard, the soprano. So that even in itself is quite an, an undertaking. How do you sustain yourself during that time in terms of the focus and there's so many pieces and such a variety of music to kind of keep that whole going and keep the audience attentive during that time? Well, I suppose I, I see all these places as different words to enter. And then I hope that the audience comes with me. Um, the pieces are so different Luckily and interestingly, they are just, they call the guitar in so different ways. And I just try to go with that, that flow, really. Hopefully the audience sees what, what, what are all these 
compositional ideas and maybe even like personal ideas with timbres and all these subjective elements of music coming from the instrument and it it is also continuous transformation of the guitar with 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 uh, with the ligati guitar and the magnet capos and uh, all the different scordaturas and tunings and then it was um explained in the beginning the cu- the, the audience had kind of a curiosity of of uh, follow follow that those transformations and and understand how how the instrument transforms and therefore the soundscape transforms as well and um so i think this 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 somehow happens together with with all the different compositions um bringing separate compositional ideas and when we had that original call for works for irish and hungarian composers were you thinking about selecting pieces that were different worlds that you'd be able to enter in or did that just sort of happen as a, as a result of the the pieces that were selected and that you uh, wor- worked on in this program no i think i i did not have any idea what kind of reception this call will receive i it was rather like um throwing a stone in in a lake and see what happens and then it was over exciting to see all the different approaches and compositions coming in of course a great challenge to to create a program because sometimes maybe it's a bit long or a bit overwhelming with the with with for the audience and for me <laughs> um but I, I think still the audience and I, we both and Liz also can appreciate that maybe because it's, it is kind of a special project that maybe it is more important that we bring on scene all these ideas and, and approaches maybe even with, with the risk of having a concert a bit too long. I certainly didn't feel like I would normally feel when it's a long concert where you get a little bit fidgety and you're kind of thinking, oh, when is this over? Every piece really did draw me in. It was a very kind of intimate experience. And I wonder, is that something to do with the instrument itself and also the space, which was quite sympathetic for the guitar? Uh, I don't know if you would agree with that or not. Yeah, so this is this is a good space. Uh, it's it's um it's the library space of the Budapest Music Center. I played here many times. Um, it is ideal for the guitar. I think the audience who came were thoroughly interested. That's what I felt. So I felt from the very first moment that the people who are sitting there are really interested. They ju- they didn't just come in for a concert. They came for this concert. So. Um, you know, that's a very big advantage for, for a performer if, if the people are not randomly there, but with, with real keen interest. And then it is lucky that the pieces are so different, you know, because it could happen that they are similar in a way and then it, the, such a long program gets boring. But somehow we were really lucky with, with the diversity of ideas here. And finally, talk to me a little bit about the premiered work the the piece by Benjamin Dwyer the homage Ligeti which is obviously one of the great 
composers, uh, not just Hungarian composers, great composers of the 20th century. Tell me about, you know, that piece and how you approached it and, and so forth. Yes, it's a, it's a quite big work. It's a four-movement piece. It is is this kind of piece which I would say grounds in cultural references. So every movement has its um, cultural reference to a certain ligati compositional techniques. Um, as a performer, it's interesting to deal with with uh, with a structure which is. Not ligeti, it's not an arrangement, not a transcription, it's a reference, so which direction I go with this, right? Because I, for me, somehow playing new music and new word premieres, it's, you know, it's like a fresh, uh, fresh field, you know, where there is no, like, past that you, you create it as the first performer and then there is this this freedom of creativity for that because you are the first creating that and then when there is a piece like that with cultural references to certain pieces then it's difficult to know where I stand in that case because do I connect myself to performance tradition to playing Ligeti but then I can't really because Rigetti didn't write anything for the guitar and um, and it is very much a guitar piece. I'm still a little bit searching for my voice in this in this journey with this piece because I feel in a way more limited than with a contemporary work because there are all these references. But I feel less sure if I would play like a ligati arrangement where I would know where I go with that because that's a ligati piece and I would have my ideas how I play a ligati piece but it is not a ligati piece it is a contemporary work but with strong references to the past I'm hoping to play the piece several times in the next couple of years maybe so not only today and in Paris but continue and I think it's it's probably a longer journey for me to discover the interpretative style. But you should ask the composer about how he sees that, yeah. for me you know I don't play it because he never wrote for the guitar but nearly every piece he has written has had a visceral effect on me you know but there was something about Ligeti as a modernist coming back to this physicality of playing of writing music which like Chopin like um, Debussy where they were writing amazing music, but that required huge virtuosity. So this thing, and that really appealed to me naturally as a guitarist, composer. 
But then when I started studying the scores, I saw this huge intelligence as well. So the whole Ligeti thing has become a, a huge uh, influence on me. The other thing about Ligeti is that he's an eclectic composer. So while there is this deep structure within Ligeti, which is always Ligetian, he refuses to be compartmentalized by a, a particular musical ideology. All these ideas about Ligeti were very foremost in my mind when I came to write my homage to Ligeti. But also I was thinking, what would Ligeti do if he was going to write for the guitar? I don't know if I've succeeded, who knows. But I've tried to be Ligetian, if, if I can use that term. This piece comes out of 25, 30 years engagement with Ligeti, both as a, an enthusiastic listener and as a, if you like, a composer analyzer, you know? And I feel I know Ligeti's music intimately. I know his processes. And a lot of those have gone into this piece. To get to know a piece, you, it's not just about playing it in your living room. Where musicians, performers get to really know a piece is on the concert stage. And it takes more than one performance. It takes many, many, many performances to get to know intimately a piece. You know, a big piece, you know, a really substantial piece. And so the only way that you can do this, I believe, is in the live experience. That's when things, that's when knowledge comes to the performer about pieces. The acoustics of the hall, the number of people, the disinterestedness or the interestedness of the of the audience. Um, hopefully, Catalan will continue unconcealing these these strange secrets. My name is Abe Patnaki and I am the communication manager for BMC Budapest Music Center. Well, a project like this uh, fits our profile perfectly since BMC is very much involved in the contemporary music scene. Actually, our main profile is uh, contemporary music, uh, classical music and contemporary European jazz. But this uh, occasion was uh, special because we did not yet have the opportunity to work with Irish composers and present premieres from Ireland here in BMC. This was actually the first time that we had the, the chance to hear pieces performed by Katalin Koltai with her own special invention, uh, a special magnetic uh, capo system and also the uh, breadth of the styles and the pieces uh, made a uh, really uh, big impression on me. From this selection I get the impression that the Irish contemporary music scene is actually very very vibrant. And in terms of your own work at the your day-to-day -day work at the BMC maybe tell me about the a little bit more about the center and about its history and what its purpose is well BMC is the vision and the brainchild of a musician called Laszlo Goes Laszlo is a trombone player very interested in uh, not just jazz but in contemporary music as well so he created this company 24 years ago as a record label and then he slowly built a team. We are now 55. 
but it's still Laszlo leading uh, the day-to-day operation of uh, BMC. So it's very much his vision and his attitude that can be felt and seen here. We are a privately owned and privately operated center for contemporary music. BMC is not just a concert venue, but also a uh, library with a special collection concentrating on 20th and 21st century Hungarian music and international music. Uh, We also operate our own jazz club in the building called Opus Jazz Club. And the library I mentioned is also used as a performance uh, space. And we also have a uh, medium-sized concert hall, uh, 300 people maximum, for ensemble music. Also hosting uh, many uh, premieres there. And we also host master classes, mostly organized by the foundation of Peter Ötvös, the composer and conductor, who is also very active as a music educator. And uh, we are lucky enough to be the home of uh, György Kurtág, the uh, famous Hungarian composer who is now uh, 96 years old, but still very, very active, with many artists coming to BMC to consult him. Kurtág has been living here for the past four years now. We basically provide uh, everything to him and he's, uh, he's composing and he's uh, holding some one-to-one masterclass sessions. It's a bit funny to say, but he's a, he's an energy source. He's a living legend and, uh, you know, everything we do, we try to measure it with his very high standards. We are similarly proud of the relationship with Peter Ötvös. And we are very happy to host his uh, foundation here that organizes international masterclasses led by Otwush, but also featuring uh, international uh, conductors and composers uh, four times per year. And also uh, BMC is active as a record label, BMC Records. And we have released in the last 24 years, I believe more than 300 albums 300 cds also available on uh, digital platforms actually now around half of these albums are presenting contemporary hungarian music so that is also a way of uh, disseminating the new hungarian music created here and recorded here so we have this approach of you know, not just being a performance space, but also a space which uh, inspires creation and a space that does archival work as well. So we have this uh, holistic approach. You know, we see things from many different angles. We look at things as librarians. We look at things as, as a record label. We look at things as a concert venue. So this uh, variety of approaches, I think, is very central to what BMC is all about. Abel, thank you so much for your time and your thoughts and for welcoming us so well into the Budapest Music Centre. It's really been a pleasure these uh, few days. You couldn't have been more helpful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Oh.
tree from a cabbage. That's what you get for not keeping them in the proper place. Pulling off their shoes and trousers there. On the chair before me, so barefaced, without even asking permission. And standing out, that vulgar way, in the half of a shirt that they wear to be admired, like a priest or a butcher or one of those hypocrites, in the time of Julius Caesar! So I am here in the Budapest Music Centre and I am with Elizabeth Hilliard. And Elizabeth, we've just heard the concert as part of Ulysses Journey 2022. And maybe you tell me about your role in the concert and, and what you were performing. So I've just performed Greg Caffrey's The Private Consciousness of Molly Bloom with guitarist Kotlin Koltai. And this was the final work in the concert. And it was my only thing, the only thing I was taking part in. And I got to hear Kotlin's performance in the first half. It was just fantastic. She performed wonderful music by Ben Dwyer, Gronje Mulvey, Mate Baloch and Petra Sassi. And I was just so enthralled with her playing and all I could, I, ha- I had to prepare for the second half and I came in for the last, the last piece, but I was just really looking forward to joining her on stage. So what's it like being involved in a concert where you're performing at the very, very end of the concert? Because I wouldn't imagine that this is something that, that happens quite often for you as a performer. No, it doesn't happen a huge amount. Most of my concerts would be, you know, even just voice and electronics I'm on stage throughout or maybe voice and piano um but no normally I would be performing the whole way through a concert but I mean there are pieces I mean Beethoven 9 I've never sung it but um the soprano waits an awfully long time before she gets to make her her opening uh, gesture in that well I'm a trombonist so I know a lot about waiting when you're you're involved in an orchestral piece. <laughs> Tell me about the piece and and almost the part that you're playing in it. So Greg has set, it's part of obviously Molly Bloom's soliloquy uh, coming in at the end of Ulysses and he's kind of selected uh, portions of that text and um, for, for me to sing and um, yeah it's, it's really great, I, I love singing it, it's a really fun piece and it's really kind of celebrating women in all their glory. What are some of the kind of t- challenges with the actual uh, piece itself in terms of how you deliver it? Because, you're, you know, you're quite involved as, as, a, as a, a performer. It's a very extrovert part, isn't it? So t- tell me a little bit about something about the, you know, the, you know, how you approach interpreting it and performing it. There's quite a lot to this piece, Jonathan. So there's a lot of text um, so you need to understand everything you're singing, but it comes at you at the clap by the clapper. like you're so that's all your text, um, and then you also have all the notes which are jumping all over the. If you're playing it on the piano, you'd be jumping all around the place. Um, lots of um, really fast material with very occasional rests. So I broke it down. I I practiced it just just speaking the text, speaking the text slowly, speaking the text at speed, breaking it into small chunks until the the text was really under my belt. And then it looked at adding in the singing on on top of it. And the singing, it's quite a tiring line, especially when you don't 
if you don't yet know how the, how the music goes and it's not on your voice, that's when it's really tiring to sing. So I did actually a lot of imagining of what it would sound like and imagining what it would feel like. And then I'd maybe do that for 10 minutes. And then for two minutes, I'd try to sing it through and I'd check through what worked and what didn't work. And I'd go back to practicing imagining. Yeah, and then just gradually over time, I put everything together. So in again, small chunks to preserve my voice. But now when I came back to it, because we performed it in February, and when I came back to it a couple of weeks ago to, to revisit the piece, it was just there fresh. And I think all that imagining work really, really helped to keep it like part of me and part of my body and my brain. And so it just meant I could just access it really quickly. So it really well and truly sunk into you uh, through that earlier performance and all the work that you did in terms of imagining it and, and, and so forth. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember straight away after the concerts in February, I was kind of going around the streets singing bits of it and it was completely stuck in my head. And I was like, will this ever leave me? So um, it did eventually leave me. Um, and I'm slightly concerned now that next week it's going to stay fresh in my memory and, and I'll have to invite it to leave yet again. <laughs> <laughs> but you have one other performance of it in Paris, right? So you have to keep it in your head until until Saturday. Yeah, I, I think we'll be fine for Saturday. Greg Caffrey. I'm a composer and we're standing in the courtyard of the Centre Culturel in Paris and uh, it's 38 degrees I believe so um, not the temperature I'm accustomed to. Well this was a piece um, I wrote in 2015 uh, kind of on a whim. Uh, I've always been fascinated with uh, the novel uh, in fact for a period of um, perhaps I don't know 25 years or something like that and you know perhaps one of the most fascinating chapters of all is the, the final monologue um, which is a kind of uh, you know through composed piece you know from a, a literature point of view and I felt would lend itself very well to some kind of musical treatment for that for that very reason. The work uh, was was it, it dates from 2015 that's what seven years ago and it's not often that one as a composer that you would you know get a piece performed um you know from a, a, a number of years back multiple times do you see your your kind of your current self in 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 that piece or would you compose that piece now or or or, or how yeah, do you feel about I'm it i'm not sure i would compose it in the same way you know uh, but i could say that perhaps about any piece that i'd written seven or more years ago um but um, I certainly do recognise uh, myself in the piece, particularly because it's a piece for uh, guitar, albeit with soprano as well. But, you know, as you know, Jonathan, I'm a guitarist, so all the kind of fingerprints are there. It's a piece that was in danger of sitting in a drawer for a long period of time, um, because, as I say, it, it had this initial premiere performance. After that initial performance then, uh, there was you know, no talk about any other performances after that. I'd kind of forgotten about it, moved on with other projects as composers do. And then it was adopted by the duo and, and here we are, you know. 
And have you been sort of tempted to kind of make changes or to, you know, make any kind of adaptations to things? Because, you know, that's often, the t- you know, the case when it, when a composer hears a piece yeah. that had, had him or her has, you know, written so many years for different performers as well. Yeah. Um, I think for me, it's the different performers thing that's, that's had an impact on it. Um, I think it's fair to say that the guitar part is still pretty much as I wrote it. It hasn't changed at all, and that's probably not that surprising because I'm a guitarist, and so you know a- anything that I would write for the guitar, I, I am absolutely certain it's playable. The soprano part changed substantially, just to to, to suit uh, Liz's voice, but also um, because she had ideas of her own, and I, and in fact it has uh, developed further over the course of the four performances as well, which is which is really great. I mean, that's one of the, the great things about composing a piece of music. It's actually seeing a development over a period of time. If you're fortunate enough to, to have a series of performances, I mean, that doesn't always happen. So many new compositions get one performance, get a premiere, and then that's the end of it. And as I say, that was the danger with this piece initially. So. And when when you have a combination like this, that's that's perhaps maybe not as commonplace uh, in terms of you know uh, you writing for it or other composers writing for it, and you hear the piece performed over a number of times, does that give you ideas about maybe other pieces for guitar and and yeah. and voice? Have you been thinking of those in those kind of things? Because yeah, it's mean, a really nice combination, isn't it? It is a nice combination actually, um, and it's a nice, uh, nicely balanced combination as well. I mean, one of the problems with uh, writing for the guitar in a kind of chamber music environment is that there's so many instruments that can overpower it. So um, that's always that's the the central thing you have in your mind when you introduce the guitar into that kind of context. So yeah, um, soprano and guitar is a great combination and. Absolutely. When I was uh, listening to the performances, I was thinking, you know, I should really do do more of this kind of thing. I've not been definite planned, but um, uh, it it occurred to me too. So, <laughs> well, maybe not James Joyce, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> no, maybe something else. Actually, um, I uh, recently composed a song cycle on uh, poems by Seamus Heaney, and before that. I, I had a commission to, to uh, write a song cycle on poems by our Belfast poet, uh, Kieran Carson, as well. So actually, I've done quite a lot of kind of um, vocal music in the last uh, three to four years, I would say. And um, it's something that I, I feel, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's very satisfying to, to write for voice, I think, mm. you know, to write, to set text. Something that's quite new to me and uh, something I'm enjoying a lot, actually. That's interesting. Well, we look forward to those other pieces and perhaps even even more text uh, setting in the future. Greg Caffrey, thanks very, mu- very much. It's a pleasure as always to talk to you. Thank you very much. My name is Nora Hickey-Mussachilli. I'm director of the Centre Culturel Irlandais in Paris. It's a, a Saturday evening in Paris. We're in the courtyard here at the end of the concert. It's been an extremely hot day. We're, we're undergoing a heat wave and yet we managed to have a very healthy audience here and they're now enjoying Hungarian wine in the courtyard uh, as well as water, obviously, to keep <laughs> hydrated. Um, but we've had a wonderful evening. Um, I think also the combination of, of Cataline on the guitar and Elizabeth Hilliard, the soprano, um, performing text, uh, that last, those last paragraphs of Ulysses, uh, that was kind of the culmination of the evening with a very dramatic performance by, by Elizabeth. 
So I became aware of Yvonne Ferguson's passion for Hungary a couple of years ago, pre-pandemic I think, and her wish to bring a, a Ulysses project to, to Hungary, to Budapest. And as we continued to talk, we realised that that it would make perfect sense, first of all, to bring the project to Paris, but more importantly, to bring it to Paris for the centenary of the publication of Ulysses and to really mark that. The Sans Culturel, we've had a, a joy season, a six month joy season. As a part of that, one of our strands has been Joyce in Europe. So I was really delighted to be able to make that, those links, which Yvonne had already set up with Hungary. We didn't just bring the project to the Sans Culturel, but we also created a connection with the Institut Liszt, the Culturel Angoisse, so the Hungarian Art Centre here in Paris. So I think that, in a sense, is representative of the richness of the whole project because, of course, there are the six commissioned films with six composers and also with, with filmmakers. And then there's this concert which we've just hosted this evening with the wonderful Hungarian guitarist Katalin Koltai. And I think the, the idea of combining Irish and Hungarian composers in the one concert is very attractive. Um, introducing some Hungarian uh, members of the public to Irish composers and vice versa. So we're very interested in those collaborations and, and where we also are bringing in a Hungarian public as well as a, an Irish public. Dara Blackhines. I'm one of the composers of the Ulysses Journey event 2022. So we're here, Dara, in the uh, courtyard of the Centre Culturel Irlandais, and we've just had the uh, final concert in the Ulysses Journey 2022 programme, which featured the performance of one of your works by Kathleen Kultai. Tell me about that work just to start with and what the in in terms of the Joyce influence is for that particular piece. Yeah, for the Joyce influence, I suppose the whole idea being that we'd write a piece that responds in some way to Ulysses. So obviously you're not going to be able to respond to the whole novel in one short guitar piece. So I think most of the composers involved picked some aspect of the work, maybe it'd be a character or, or a chapter or whatever. I picked the, the third chapter, Proteus, which uh, I really like that chapter. I think it's the first chapter in the book where you really get the sort of the uh, stream of consciousness. You know, it starts to get pretty heavy and intense. There's some great, great lines in it, you know. So I decided to focus on that and write a piece that would sort of try to respond to that musically, you know. Obviously, that in, in an instrumental piece, you're never really going to be able to kind of fully depict a piece of literature, but you can get the timbre maybe or your own sense of what's going on. And what I love about that chapter is the way it's both very intense and very kind of dense you know there's a lot of kind of um, very abstract esoteric kind of writing in there and yet I think there's a sort of sense of space as well even particularly the way it's set on Sandy Mount Strand you know so you do have the sense of both the two kind of the kind of 
complexity and then also the sort of spaciousness, I think. So I tried to kind of convey those two ideas in the piece. And one of the things that I, you know, that strikes me about the, about that particular your particular piece is that it almost is a, a a kind of world in and of itself. I mean, was that something that you were you were kind of conscious of, in terms of reflecting, or or does that perhaps come from your kind of experience as a guitarist yourself? Yeah, actually, good question. I suppose what I write for guitar is is my guitar music. You know, it's it, it tends to be a bit different, I think, to what else. You know, you know if I write a string quartet or piano piece or whatever and that definitely is because I am a guitarist right and I'm an active guitarist I mean I don't uh, do classical guitar concerts anymore but I play a lot of jazz guitar and I still keep up my classical playing and my technique and whatnot so and I just love the instrument I love it so like I said in, in the concert like I did want to write the piece obviously at the instrument and I kind of came up with a tuning that I liked and then I you know had my own kind of makeshift single string capo that I was able to put on the instrument nothing like what Kathleen is using you know it's not that sophisticated or whatever but it worked anyway and I just I just got into it I just came up with all the ideas you know and put it together and I wrote it as a kind of a metamorphosis in itself like a kind of ideas sort of shift and blend into each other you know and also as well I think because I was using the score to Tura uh, I think it's important if you do have a retuning that you kind of um, you know let it kind of shine out like there's no point if you retune the strings and then you're kind of doing a lot of stopped string stuff it might as well not be a score to Tura so you need to get that sense of the open strings and a different tuning so um, what I did there was I used a lot of uh, natural harmonics. So that gives you the sense of the kind of the auto tuning. And there's a lot of that going on in the piece. It's a, like, at least a third of the piece is probably natural harmonics. You know. And finally, this is the first time that we've spoken on the podcast. I'm sure the first of many in terms of your own kind of musical approach and, and kind of aesthetic and where you're coming from as a composer, where you're kind of maybe feel you're going to maybe say something a little bit uh, about that. I know it's hard to kind of reduce all that down into a sound by, by but just to give some sort of idea. Yeah, I suppose it's always for me depending on the piece I'm working on at the moment, really, you know. Like I said earlier, my guitar music tends to be of, of a certain variety, um, and in fact, all of the solo guitar music I've written recently has been a little bit like this piece, quite kind of spacious. It doesn't kind of kind of rush forward. It's not, uh, it doesn't have a kind of a steady rhythm. It's more of a kind of amorphous kind of quality to it. Then I've been writing microtonal music as well, so that was a case of what I had to do there. I won't go into it too much, but I wanted to write um, some microtonal guitar music, and it's very difficult to do that for solo guitar, of course. So I wrote a quartet, and what I did was I basically kind of had each guitar, so the first guitar was standard tuning, the second guitar was, everything was just down uh, 25 cents, and the next one everything down 50 cents, and so on. And so it's like, if you kind of make a, a hocket texture, so if you split up the texture, then you get the microtones, you know what I mean? So that was a challenge, and again, it was a challenge of writing for that that guided the actual outcome of the piece, you know what I mean? Or if I make electronic music, then the most recent electronic music I made was very kind of minimalist in a way, you know, um, so yeah, it depends. I think on the piece I'm working on. It's just the piece really tends to guide you, or the instrument you're writing for as well, or the musician. Yeah. Dara, thank you so much uh, for your time, and uh, well done on your on your piece. Pleasure, Danton. Thanks. Thank you.
Linda, it's the end of the Ulysses Journey 2022 project. We're sitting out here. Uh, it's uh, dusk in the Centre Culturel Irlandais. It's warm, it's balmy. If you were to choose one memory of the project, what would it be? I think the intense exchange that it has produced, to be honest with you, Jonathan, Originally, it started out as a concert for Bloomsday in Budapest, which is a wonderful concert in and of itself with Hungarian and Irish composers and performers. But then COVID, which sort of wreaked havoc on it, on the other hand, added great depth and breadth to the whole project because we were able to really turn it into a deeper exchange because um, that brought us into the 100th anniversary of the publication of Ulysses here in Paris and that meant we could add the films which added layers of more composers, performers, spoken word artists and it really turned it into what I would call a sort of a, a magnus opus. I think it's the gathering of that pace and the creativity that was involved in building that, which that's the creative side I really like. I mean obviously you have to organise these events and there's a lot of detail and there's you know, flights, rehearsals, all those things. But it's just the building of the creative world that you can manage to achieve with a huge project like this. What's really special is that, let's say, the Institut d'Angois was very involved here in Paris. The Hungarian embassy was very involved in Dublin. The Irish embassy was very involved in Budapest. It became a very thick and deep relationship so it's really showing that they're all meeting each other all these composers performers and you know and I know both well this will lead to subsequent performances which is a chief mission of CMC in dissemination international dissemination of works by CMC composers the other main objective is for CMC to cement relationships with partners at home and abroad. So, for example, New Music Dublin, we had the films running on a loop. Then One Dublin, One Book took it up. Other festivals are talking about it. Molly used the films on Bloomsday in Dublin. So all these organisations that we have worked with, they could be venues, they could be embassies, they could be promoters, that's another whole level that we can operate at. And that's where a project like this gives real latitude. Linda, it's a, a sigh of relief, I'm sure, to reach the terminus of the of the Ulysses Journey 2022 in Paris tonight. And uh, it's been a great project and well done to you and all your hard work.
The ending of Gráinne Mulvey's Soft Morning City, performed by Kathleen Kultai at the Budapest Music Centre last month. My thanks to Andras Kegel of the Budapest Music Centre for the recording of the concert. That's all for this week. We'll be back again soon with the final episode of Amplify before we take a short break for the summer. Until then, thanks for listening. <laughs>